I'm Jonathan Bastian. This week on KCRW's Life Examines, whether it's a peaceful walk in the woods, the shade of leaves, or protection from the elements, trees are so much a part of our lives. But their true ability to amaze might be the way they communicate and help each other. The tree is standing head down. The real head or brain of the tree are the root tips. So there the tree makes decisions. There is a lot of communication with the surrounding species in the soil and between um, the trees of the same, let's say, family. And later, forget hiking and rushing through a forest. Why slowing down and being still amongst the trees might be far more beneficial. There's this overwhelming calmness and well-being that I get when I'm among trees. I just feel like I'm among friends, that I, when I walk through a forest, I feel like I'm sort of walking into a warm hug. Forest bathing and the hidden, surprising life of trees, all ahead on KCRW's Life Examined. The trees and forests have long been a source of inspiration for art and poetry. Today, the modern environmental movement calls their, quote, leafy canopies the vanguard in fighting global climate change by absorbing CO2 and cooling the planet. Old mature trees and forests are of greatest value, and their biggest threat, and ours, is deforestation. Perhaps you've seen the images of hundreds of thousands of clear-cut acres of Amazon rainforests. But trees have been here a long time and have learned to collaborate and help each other, developing a sophisticated social network. German forester and author of The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Peter Walliben, says the brain of a tree lies in its roots. Because trees can't move, they use their roots to communicate, to make decisions, and even to store memories. His latest book is called The Heartbeat of Trees, Embracing Our Ancient Bond with Forests and Nature. It contains the latest science and research, but his message is simple. Those age-old ties linking humans to the forest are alive and well. We just have to know where to look. Peter Walliben, it's a pleasure to have you on Life Examined. Welcome. Thank you, Jonathan, for the invitation. I, I want to talk about some of your earlier research, which describes trees as social creatures. It's it's something that I find so fascinating in your work. Can you introduce us to this idea of how a tree can be social? Yeah, I think uh, it surprises many people. But on the other hand, that's a principle of nature that cooperation is better than competition. And uh, trees are so much older than we are. And often we think, ah, Peter Wohleben is... Um, anthropomorphizing trees, but mm. it's the other way around. Uh, we have developed very much later than trees and we have the same principles. So that means, for example, that trees know, uh, a single tree know, I'm not a forest and just as a forest and I'm able to cool down. For example, uh, trees are able to cool down the, the local climate around about 15 degrees by sweating together for example, a big broadleaf tree is able to, to gas out as much as 500 liters of water per day. And that's cooling the local climate. There's much more rain over such forests. And that all just works when trees work together as a forest, as, a, as you say, as a social community. Wow. And there's so many interesting examples in this. You talk about trees, how, how they're able to nurse a sick neighbor, a tree that's not doing as well. It can be helped by others. Is that right? That's right, and I discovered that uh, oh, around about 25 years ago when I stumbled upon an old stump. And this stump, the tree has been felled around about 400 years ago and was still alive without any green leaf. And a tree uh, burns sugar in its cells, so it, it needs energy, it needs fresh sugar from photosynthesis, and uh, without any green leaf, that's not possible. And how could this tree survive 400 years, this stump? And uh, the only explanation was that the surrounding trees were uh, feeding this tree, nursing this tree, this stump. I'm uh, always talking about a tree because the real tree is in the underground. Uh, what we see above, it's just for getting nutrition. And um, yeah, and then as a forester, I was trained to look at trees as competitors. And I, as a forester, uh, was the referee and... Uh, the, tra the tree, when, when the two trees were struggling, I could cut one tree down and say, okay, um, I'm the referee and um, you get now more space, the um, remaining tree. And in reality, it's a destruction of the social community. And with, with this old stump, I learned that the trees are 
cooperative. And for them, what's what's the point of forming these communities? Um, I think you you alluded a little bit to the aspect of you know we're better together than we are alone, something like that. Exactly. Um, a tree wants to become very old because a tree is very slow and it takes decades, if not centuries, to become grown up, to reproduce. And uh, there are many dangers and therefore they support each other. Um, and when they start very slow in their youth, then they can become very, very old. That's also a principle by nature. And therefore, a childhood a tree childhood could last as long as two or three hundred years and then the tree with this uh, very slow youth growth uh, it can become 1000 years old up to 10,000 years old or even more the oldest tree we know so far is around about 10,000 years old this is the, the old lonely spruce tree in uh, sweden in the swedish mountains but uh, perhaps there are much older trees because there has to uh, be done uh, a lot of research on single trees we're most familiar seeing trees above ground and, and admiring them or, or cutting them down. But but below them is this profound and amazing complex of fungal networks. How does that work? It's it's always amazed me when I've learned about it. Yeah. Um, first, uh, I have to say that, that a tree is um, standing head down um, mm. because um, the, the real head or brain of the tree are the root tips. There's a lot of research, for example, done here by the University of Bonn. In the root tips, there are brain-like structures. Uh, there are some molecules, signaling molecules, that are the same like in our brain. So there the tree makes decisions, there the tree um, stores its memory, and um, there is a lot of communication with the surrounding species in the soil and between um, the trees of the same, let's say, family. For example, they warn each other from bark beetle attacks, from fungi attacks, from because there are also evil fungi which like to kill trees, um, from droughts because one tree is, is uh, recognizing this much earlier than other trees depending on where it stands. So they are communicating a lot because they are so slow and it's very important for them to know dangers in advance. And because the roots are not connecting every tree, uh, the the fungi network and this fungi filaments are, are very very tiny uh, they are transporting the news on electrical and chemical ways and therefore they are getting paid by the trees with sugar and uh, it can be uh, up to one third of the uh, sugar production of a tree which has to be paid to the fungal network and uh, that uh, therefore that you have an imagination how little this this uh, filaments are on um, one teaspoon full of of soil um, forest soil you can have a mile of fungi filaments i just want to make sure i understand this the, the trees are almost compensating the, the fungi networks in a sense to pass these messages back and forth is that right that's that's exactly right, and it's a really expensive internet in <laughs> compared to the human internet, and it's yeah. very slow. But what 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 interests me most uh, when we research tree communication, uh, in general, we can just um, discover things uh, when trees are stressed by attacks or mm. by weather conditions or whatsoever. I uh, would be happy when uh, one day a scientist would discover what trees are telling each other when they are happy, because that's, mm. that's really mm. hard to prove. The images you leave us with, this idea of, of the trees being head down, the, the, the metaphor or the thought of the roots as brain passing messages back and forth, it seems to me just a whole new paradigm of thinking about this, and frankly, one that's just completely filled with wonder. Um, and that, that are no metaphors. Um, it, for us, it's hard to believe that plants are very much closer to us and to animals than we thought. Uh, I, I don't know if you know what the main difference between plants and animal is. No, no. It's the photosynthesis. It's, it's the production of sugar. It's the fact that plants are able to produce their own food. That's the main difference. Because plants, they, they, they can't move. They stand where they are uh, for their whole life long. Uh, okay, but therefore, they have to have many, many more senses than, than we have. They have to make decisions. They have to have memories not to make the same mistake again and again. For example, we know that, that apple trees 
are able to count warm days in spring because when they bring out their, their new leaves too early then there could be a hard uh, frost and uh, destroy this, this new leaf so a tree uh, don't trust the first warm days in spring and wait and count okay one day two day perhaps 10 or 20 days uh, warm days and then the tree say okay that's spring and to count a tree has to have a memory because otherwise it would count every day new as one is it too much of a stretch to say that a tree has a certain consciousness in the way that we think of humans being conscious beings yeah, that's a difficult question because uh, no scientist, no biologist would say yes. Uh, we have here scientists in, in Germany um, who says, okay, yeah, okay, for that questions you have to ask plants. <laughs> okay. uh, but there, there are uh, um, some hints that there, there is um, uh, consciousness. For example, we know that plants and trees uh, produce pain-suppressing substances. If pain is just a reflex, for example, when a tree is hurt by a bark beetle, then you can measure an electrical signal going through the tissue, then there's a, a reaction on this attack, but that could be just a reflex. Um, but pain suppressing substances, we produce that in situations of stress, for example, when we have an accident. Uh, why do we produce pain suppressing substances? Pain is a very, very important signal to re react without thinking. And uh, when we suppress it, it's very dangerous. But in some situations, we suppress it. Why? To stay conscious. And mm. trees and plants are doing the same. So if a um, being uh, produces pain-suppressing substances, uh, then we can assume that there is a, a, a sort of uh, consciousness. But many people say, oh, no, oh, no, that, that, that's going too far. Uh, and the reason why we react like this is, what else should we eat? <laughs> but right. these questions uh, are, are not scientific questions. It's okay to eat plants. It's okay uh, to eat meat, uh, although I'm a vegetarian, because I think uh, meat um, is the main tree killer, uh, forest killer. But, but even if plants uh, are conscious about what they are doing, it's okay to eat them, because otherwise we would die and it's our right to, to survive. Thinking about the the levels of of sophistication in in these trees or tree networks, are there are there different degrees to that? Uh, are are certain I don't know deciduous trees more advanced in certain ways than other types of trees? Like what's the what's the differentiation you see as you go to different groves and uh, see these different organisms? Um, we know that there are trees which like to be on their own. Um, so I assume that they are not so cooperative, that there's not so much communication, but but uh, that's just a guess. Uh, many, many questions I have to answer with, um, I don't know, because uh, plants in general and trees are the, the last things uh, which uh, are going to be discovered um, we, in, in detail. For example, um, that's a very new discovery that trees have their human system um, to de defeat um, uh, illness uh, outside their roots, outside their body. And that's very untypical for, for beings. In general, for example, our human system is in our body and trees have it on the outer side with a bacteria with which they cooperate. Or, for example, trees can also suffer from something similar like COVID-19, which is surprising. No one is thinking about virus diseases um, in trees, which uh, are brought in here due uh, to the uh, global trade. So there are many, many things to discover. But the, um, and modern biologists say that the age of discovery for, for, for uh, biology uh, has just to begin. Well, I think I'm, I, I want to now ask you just a little bit more of a personal question, which is you've become a leading expert in trees. You, you've been able to communicate this to the masses. But, but for you, what initially drew you into these forests to dedicate your life to these things? Yeah, um, when I was a child, I was more interested in animals. For example, I hatched mm. a chicken on a heating pillow from my grandma because I read the experiments from Conrad Lorenz with the gray geese. Um, because when, you, when you talk to the chicken and the egg, the chicken thinks you are its mother. And, uh, and when I was around about 10 years old, I, I thought, okay, I try this. And it worked. 
and it was really funny, but just for a few days, because um, afterwards you get very exhausted. Uh, you have always this little chicken around your feet um, and to be careful not to step on it. And I did things like this um, because I was always curious how how uh, animals are working, how, how I could communicate with them. And after school, I thought about studying biology and then um, I found out that it's also possible to become a forester. And then I made a mistake. I thought a forester is someone like a tree keeper. Right. But in reality, a forester is a little bit more like a tree butcher. And um, when I started forestry, I, I was told at university, yeah, it's okay to cut down trees because that helps the trees, that helps the forest to stay healthy and so on. That's not true, of course, but um, but it's it's still being told at universities up to date. And uh, when I started forestry and cutting old beech trees down, for example, uh, I, I felt in my heart something is wrong. And uh, then I traveled around and looked at um, forest enterprises which worked environmentally friendly. And then I found out, okay, we don't need to have a forest. Uh, we have to uh, let forests doing things on their own. Then they um, will stay healthy. And when we want to use timber, it's okay. But it's not okay for, for the trees. And it's, we, we have to do it in the right balance. And uh, I'm still figuring it out um, uh, what, what the right balance is. But that was um, uh, my, my walk into the forest. And the, the turning point was um, the, the guided tours for the people I'm doing here in, in our forest academy. And the people said, for example, ah, this tree is banded. And, and I said, uh, that's a bad tree because I thought it's a sawmill. Um, and uh, I thought, okay, that, that will be banded planks. That is a worthless tree. And in reality, it's a wonderful tree. And with those, all those people, I learned to look at forest once again new. And then I uh, talked a lot with scientists. We make research here in, in our forest uh, up to date. And uh, then I began to explore the wonders of the forest. Uh, so it was not a very straight way. I wonder for you, as as you enter a forest now with with this incredible amount of knowledge, and you think of the destruction of these incredible forests all across the globe. I, for you, I mean, what what goes into this idea now of removing beautiful old growth trees? I mean, is it is it almost kind of incomprehensible and immoral? Um, it's depending for uh, which purpose uh, people are doing this. Uh, if it is really necessary, um, then it's okay. But but most yeah. forests, as I said, uh, are destroyed for the meat production to get more uh, new meadows or soya plantations or whatsoever. Um, here in in um, the forest where I'm responsible for, uh, we protect this forest, and there's no no tree uh, going to be cut down anymore. Uh, and for me, it's it's very exhausting looking at all those bad managed forests. In Germany, for example, we have the biggest clear cuts ever make, made by the uh, State Forest Commission, which is responsible for the protection of the forests. It's it's like in Brazil, in Germany at the moment. It's, it's really hard to see. And, and, and uh, much of the timber is exported to the United States. That, that, that's also, it's, it's a, a global trade um, in, in in other years, we, we import a lot of, of timber from Canada, for example. So for me, the, the forestry which, which we experience today is getting harder and harder. And uh, therefore, with my academy, we are working for the protection of the forest. Um, we have lawyers which uh, um, control uh, the, the, the clear cuts, which uh, are bringing the, the forest authorities to court. Uh, so for what what is good for me because i'm an optimist optimist even if it sounds like i'm a pessimist i think we are we are very soon reaching a tipping point um where we see that we have to do a lot, a lot more things for climate change to preventing climate change we have to do a lot more for restoring forests for protecting old growth forest and more and more people are getting aware of that and i think yeah in one or two years, we will see um, a lot of uh, changes, positive changes. Can you talk about the role of trees in, in climate change at large, both in terms of removing them, but the importance of keeping them too, to, to just yeah. ha have some semblance of balance on the planet? Most, most governments regard trees, the burning of wood, as carbon neutral. And that's 
Very bad, because uh, most of the scientists says that burning uh, wood is worse than burning coal. But it's, it is regarded to be carbon neutral and therefore more and more power plants are changing from coal to wood. That's a bad development. For example, there's uh, much wood from the southeastern uh, United States burned in European power plants. Uh, but uh, in, in terms of climate change, trees are the best, let's say, machines to take up carbon dioxide. Trees can cool down the landscape. Trees can create more rain. And that's exactly what we are experiencing. For example, um, you are on, on the West Coast. Uh, I read that the first wildfires appeared, uh, meanwhile, around the year. And uh, uh, trees can, can change that. Um, and therefore, we need more forest and we need more old trees. Most of the trees are too young and just old trees are able to do, to do all those benefits. And perhaps we would say, ah, but it takes decades to, to let new forests grow. Yeah, but then let's start now with new forest and uh, let's reduce forestry. I wouldn't say we, do, should, we shouldn't have forestry, but we, have, we should have less timber consumption, we should have less stress for forests, we should have more protected forests because they, are, they uh, have so many benefits, as I said. Uh, for example, when I look at Germany, we have here now 1.5 degrees Celsius higher temperatures. That's more than the average rising world temperature because we're a little far in the north. And uh, when I think that in summer times, tree can cool down their surrounding area around about 15 degrees, mm -hmm. uh, then I would say, okay, where's the problem? And we have had three years of very heavy drought um, in summertime here in Germany with many spruce plantation dying. Uh, but the old forest, the old broadleaf forest, like um, beech forest, oak forest, uh, they are uh, still fit. So um, I'm not concerned about nature. I'm concerned about us. This is a question we deal with in California a lot, which is the, the dueling arguments of how much do you just try and clear out forests and, and old dead trees because they're considered to be tinder for fires yeah, versus yeah. leaving them in place. And, and I suppose many would say that's more of the natural path that, you know, nature wouldn't be just, you know, sweeping out old trees. How do you fall on these arguments? Yeah, I think that's a little bit crazy because uh, the forest you have in California, j just a few of them is, uh, are really old growth forest. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it depends on which sort of timber uh, is remaining in the forest. When it is it's, uh, timber from thinning, lots of thin branches which dry out very fast or thin stems uh, which are drying out or even clear cuts, cuts which are drying out. Then uh, then you have uh, tinder to, for, for new fires. But old trees, old um, trunks which are on the ground, they store water like a sponge. And even if it is a month of drought, those uh, trunks are full of water and cooling their surrounding area. They are not burning. But um, and, and the, with the old, old big trees over them, which are also cooling the surrounding air, you will at maximum see a ground fire. A ground fire you can see in California by nature, but not a wildfire burning the complete complete forest. And that is done by forestry, by, by land use changes. Uh, and now uh, people say, okay, we have to clean up the forest and bring out all the, the branches out. And I would say we need more old trees and we need less forestry. Mm. So, so really, more of keep what we have versus just just start just versus stripping away, which I think has been the argument. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, and uh, that's that's what we think. We think we can manipulate nature, but therefore we have to understand it. And no one can really say we have understood nature so far, because otherwise, many people should have predicted what's uh, five years ago, what's going on now. And uh, for a minimum in Germany, I see that, that forest scientists, for example, are not able to see in the future for even uh, just three years. Um, so I think we, we should leave nature on its own wherever it is possible, and um, then we will have a better situation. You talk about in, in your new book, The Heartbeat of Trees, um, that even even though we feel that we are losing touch with nature or trees, you know, through our phones, through, through the technology that we're using right now, that, that, it, that there is something that can be reclaimed and that it's still very much alive within us. 
I, I wonder if you can uh, kind of bring us into some of the ideas that you're talking about in this new project. We always, or, or in, in modern times, say, ah, we have degenerated senses and we are so far away from nature. And that makes nature destruction more easier because mm -hmm. we are on this side and nature is on the other side. But we are still within and we see it in the very, on a very bitter way now in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that we are so part of nature and the forces of nature. But there are also very nice ways of being connected. For example, uh, when you walk in the forest, your blood pressure sinks, mm. uh, you, your uh, human system gets better. And um, that is caused uh, because we are still connected. We are breathing in tree communication and then our body reacts. Now we could say, okay, hmm, that is really strange that, that uh, when, we, when our body realizes, ah, we are in nature, we are in forest, um, especially then our blood pressure gets better. But it's just the other way around. When you're going out of the forest, in your office, in your home, in the city, then your blood pressure is rising. Mm. <laughs> and the blood pressure in the forest is the normal way. And what I love most is that our instincts, our body is so connected that you are react, that you are reacting and you can measure it. I've done that with a TV host here in Germany. We were in the city of Cologne, in the inner city, and... Uh, we uh, measured the blood pressure and then we went out of the forest and uh, the blood pressure decreased. So uh, everyone can experience that. And our uh, conscious mind would say, ah, that's nice here. I'm relaxing. Yeah, it's funny. I, as we have this conversation, I've just returned from, from the Redwoods up past Santa Cruz, California. And it's just, I'm sure so many listeners can relate to that when you get in those old growth forests and the green and the quiet. I mean, there is something that's so meditative that, that just sweeps over you. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, exactly. And, and why is in those old forests? It's, it's better in, in those old forests than in, let's say, younger pine forests, right? Mm. Why? Because the old forests are in a better balance and there's less stress communication between the trees. And, and, and you would say, wow, wonderful. And your body say, yeah, right. That's the right place to settle. <laughs> mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's this whole idea of forest bathing. I, you know, I, I think that may be more popular in Japan where you hear about this more often, but, but it's a term that is, is kind of moving around. What, I mean, what does is, what is forest bathing to you mean? What's the idea behind it? Um, the, idea, the idea is that you allow yourself just to relax in the forest without having a schedule. <laughs> That's okay. the idea behind. So nice. there are many different ways of forest bathing. But, but as, as um, educated grown-ups, we say, ah, okay, we can't go in, into a forest without making a hike. A hike of, let's say, 15 miles. And we have to be there in the next restaurant or sightseeing point at noon and back uh, at the car at let's say 5 p.m or whatsoever so we have right. a schedule and when you make forest bathing you allow yourself to lay one hour under a tree and mm. looking up in the crown and uh, seeing the clouds passing by and relaxing and uh, that's very hard to stand to be honest and therefore we have trainers not, not we but, but in general people who make forest bathing uh, they have. They are trainers, and they make some yoga with you or other exercises. Um, and then, when someone says yes, you are allowed to relax without time pressure, and then you you relax really. And um, that, yeah, that's all about forest bathing. So you can do it yourself with a tree in your garden or in the next city park. Uh, all you have to do is to uh, keep, uh, take your time uh, without pressure. Hmm. What do you think the, the impacts of a good forest bath are? Um, what we know from scientists uh, is that your blood pressure gets uh, in, in better condition for days, that hmm. your human system is getting uh, better conditions for days. So, so it doesn't matter if you're just one or two hours out in the forest or one or two days. Uh, I would say once a week would be, would be a nice um schedule uh, and perhaps uh, in between in daytime at noon make your make your make a little nap uh, under a tree uh, that is very good for your health we know that trees in cities uh, lengthen your lifespan um, when you have enough trees in the city uh, then your lifespan will be more than one year longer yeah i mean there is this idea more and more of kind of a nature deprivation as as almost an illness or something that can that can remove years to your life that that's something i take that you believe in as well 
Yeah, yeah. And we know that, uh, for example, when you're in a hospital, uh, the, you need less painkillers uh, when you look at a tree. That's a psychological phenomenon, of course, but uh, it works. Uh, and and um, so the, some hospitals are constructed differently and have parks mm -hmm. outside because you get uh, healthier or, or you recover uh, uh, faster. So uh, trees are very important for our health. And therefore it's, yeah, and, and how we treat the forest in the moment it's like a mirror. Uh, when we treat forests better, we treat, treat ourselves better. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder if you could do a, a small experiment. I mean, imagine we could, we could walk into a forest and you could, you could give us a sense of how to be in it, how, how, uh, what, what to look for, what to experience. What, what, yeah. what would that be like? Uh, at first, I would say close your eyes. Don't look because we, are, uh, we, are, we, we concentrate very much too much uh, on our eyes. Perhaps you make a sound map and hear from which direction what you hear. Make a draw a little sound map or try to taste the difference of trees. Uh, for many trees, you can eat the leaves or all the needles and, um, and then you can try it with closed eyes. Someone is feeding you with, with, a, with a leaf, for example, and you try to find out which species it is. That's very funny also with uh, children. children uh, for children, it's always boring to have something like a biology lesson with their parents outside. But when you make things like this, taste a beech tree. Taste an, taste an oak or, or make a sound map. That is very, very uh, cool. And on the other hand, you sharpen your senses and you have a lot of senses. Hmm. I, l I love the idea of listening to the, the, the depth to the sound that comes out of these forests. And I take it that each forest produces its own music. Yeah, and, and uh, I've um, spoken a lot with blind people and they say, there's one, one guy uh, said, he can uh, say uh, by the sound of the wind going through the crown of a tree which species it is. <laughs> That's really cool. I, I, I'm not able to, but I would love to, to have the same ability. What about the importance of bringing children into forests or into these nature-rich experiences? Um, I think it's very important uh, to bring children into forests and bring in uh, the children the right way. Uh, for, I think what's, what's always um, cool with children is when, they, when it's an adventure for children. Yeah. Um, so not, not a, a lesson, not, not try, trying to teach uh, children anything, but let them experience nature. And uh, we do that a lot. For example, first when we walk in the forest, we let them shout very loud because most people say, ah, oh, you have to be very silent not to disturb the animals. But the animals are relaxing when children are allowed. Why? Because then they know, ah, these people are no hunters. Mm -hmm. And animals just fear hunters. Otherwise, they, they you could uh, come very close to them. And so, uh, and, and children uh, which are uh, told to be silent, don't like forests. So the first thing we do in the forest is uh, to um, say to the children, shout as loud as you can. <laughs> That's great. Uh, for, for you, is there, um, is there a, a type of tree or an experience you have with a tree that's particularly magical? Uh, every day. That's really yeah. every day. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm um, living here with my wife in an old forester house in the forest. And I'm, in the moment, I'm looking at an old birch tree. Uh, the tree is around about 19 years old. It's one of the uh, 90 years old. It's one of the biggest birch trees I have ever seen. And it's in the inner, it's a little bit rotten. And um, every storm, I think, ah, perhaps it's the last year, but it's so full of little wonders with birds nesting in it and uh, with spiders and snails and lichens growing on it. And it's it's still strong and tough and uh, yeah I I I'm always wonder what this tree is is feeling uh, if it, if it's a happy life uh, or whatsoever but yeah I'm just admiring it and I, I I take it you must be a fan of some of the incredible trees we have in California I mean the sequoias for those that haven't yeah. been there or the redwoods that I've mentioned or the Joshua trees this is this is a state that is blessed with with many of these organisms exactly. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and therefore uh, I think we we uh, need to have more such wonders. Um, we we admire the biggest trees. Me too, to mm. be honest. Uh, because mm. for example, the the oldest trees on earth, uh, the oldest tree on earth is a spruce, which is around about 
five meters in height uh, that that's not very impressive <laughs> but to see this this giant redwoods uh, that that's really wonderful and uh, when we see how old they can get and how they are working um, and how they they are filtering out the, the humidity from the air uh, then then I think we should give them a little bit more room well Lastly, touching on just questions of conservation into the future, um, you, you write a lot about new approaches to how to manage forests. What, what would you say in terms of what's coming next or, or new practices you hope to spread across the globe? Uh, concerning the practice of forestry, I would say uh, we need uh, more letting nature doing the job. Mm. Uh, for example, if you plant a forest, it can never as, uh, be as good as a, a forest which came by nature. Because when you plant a tree, you you damage the root system. And the root system is the, bra- the brain of the tree. And, and we know that the, this damage will never be healing the whole lifetime of the tree. So it gets more instable or in droughts, uh, it will die earlier and so on. So it's always better to let the forest come back itself. It's full of surprise and it's not in yeah. every case that what you what you wanted or needed but it's stronger and uh, uh, and you can, can um, uh, uh, harvest timber in such a forest uh, in some decades or centuries but more carefully and with more respect and perhaps without those big machines which are destroying the soil which is even more important because it stores water like a sponge for for dry summers yeah, I, I uh, would wish uh, forestry uh, with, uh, which is uh, more respectful. Peter Wallybin is a forester and the author of The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. It was really a pleasure. We'll be back with Life Examined on KCRW after this short break. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. I'm Jonathan Bastian, back with Life Examined on KCRW. We just heard Peter Wallibin talk about the collaborative ways in which trees communicate with each other. He also suggested that taking a, quote, little daytime nap under a tree might be pretty good for your health. So can trees actually help us feel better, even heal? Do natural compounds released by trees lower blood pressure, ease depression, and increase cognitive function? To learn more, we're joined by Anna Ka'ahanui. She's a master naturalist and co-founder of Capital Nature, a nonprofit that encourages interaction with wild spaces. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Anna, just tell us why why you love trees so much. Where where does your deep fascination come from? As you've spent so many years studying these these amazing things, you know, I'll tell you how it all began for me. Um, it started with a leaf. I was I live in Northern Virginia. Was walking my dog one day uh, several years ago, and I I saw this leaf, and I picked it up and just thought, well, how beautiful is this leaf? And why haven't I noticed these trees all around me that I've been walking on the trails for years? Mm-hmm. And so I got uh, I got really excited and I started looking at all the other trees and the different types of leaves and I got sort of obsessed with studying them. So I decided to uh, go through the coursework to become a Virginia Master Naturalist where you learn all the different things about different aspects of nature, but uh, trees were one of my favorites. Um, and I just, um, I felt like trees were my friends. Um, I became friends with them as I learned about them. I studied under several folks in the area. Um, one of my mentors, her name is Melanie Chukas Bradley, has written a book called The City of Trees. And it's the only, uh, it's only field guide of trees of the DC metro area. And so it's great stories and anecdotes, but also about the different species. And once I got that, made that connection, um, I became inspired to connect others to it. Just the feeling that I got from being in the presence of trees and nature in general uh, just really inspired me to just reach out and uh, start changing my career so that I could uh, help people connect to nature. Mm. Talk about the feeling that you get. Go go a little more into that. What comes over you? What do you feel in your body, in your mind as, as you're surrounded by trees? Absolutely. Well, um, I am a certified forest therapy guide. And so I've gone through a training with the um, Association of Nature and Forest Therapy Guides and Programs. And our whole 
um, purpose is to get people to slow down. Um, that's something that in today's society, we are so busy running from place to place, errands, we're multitasking. And the whole purpose of to uh, forest bathe or have forest therapy is to um, experience the forest with all of your senses. And so it's first slowing down, it's being present, um, it's it's uh, listening to the sounds, it's tasting the air, it's feeling the textures of the barks and the leaves. And just there's this overwhelming sort of calmness and well-being that I get when I'm among trees. I just feel like I'm among friends that I, when I walk through a forest, I feel like I'm sort of walking into sort of a kind of like a, a warm hug. I kind of feel like I'm being hugged by the trees. And um, I've even named some of the trees in my neighborhood. There's Manny the musclewood tree mm. or Bo the tulip poplar. And it just, I just feel, um, I just feel their presence. I feel their being. Um, and I feel a connectedness and a closeness to them that just gives me, you know, just a lot of, um, it gives me a lot of joy. And can you talk about the power of of smelling trees? Might might sound kind of funny to say, but but there's something very therapeutic in that on on a biological level, isn't there? Absolutely. So um, when uh, folks in the mid '80s in Japan were uh, realizing their their Ministry of um, of Health realized that their people were so stressed out, um, and uh, their uh, chronic disease was high, suicide levels were high, so they decided to um, do some studies about um, people's exposure in nature and how it can affect them both physically and mentally. And what they discovered is that trees emit organic compounds called phytoncides. Um, and they are actually a defense mechanism and a communication method for plants and trees. But what they tested and realized was that when humans ingest or inhale these phytoncides, these organic compounds, um, it gives us tremendous benefit. Um, it can lower cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone. It can relax you. Um, you can have better creativity. Um, and your blood pressure can go down. And so, so many, um, and they also increase the production of NK or natural killer cells, which are cancer fighting cells. So just, I mean, it's, it's proven science, science has proven it, that, that the benefits that we get just by taking a walk in the forest are great. And it doesn't just last for that one walk. It could last for weeks after that as well. Are there any memories that you have of bringing folks into forests that, that you'd want to share with us or people that stick out in your memory? Absolutely. Um, I actually gave um, a forest bathing walk for a group of gentlemen in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago. Uh, their uh, daily work is with a nonprofit in D.C. called Ward 8 Woods. Um, it is a nonprofit that goes in and cleans up the forest, pulls out trash and invasive species. And their day-to-day -day work is rugged and hard. And, and their executive director, my friend Nathan uh, Harrington, he said, you know, I think, I think I'd like my, my, my team to experience forest bathing. And, and we did this wonderful walk with these gentlemen um, in a very um, DC area, just right across the street from one of the Metro stops, but deep into a forest, we were able to walk in. I found a clearing where we were able to sit and listen to the sounds. And I have people we do, uh, we, when, we, when we get in touch with our senses, I have them close their eyes and listen to the sounds. And one of the gentlemen said uh, afterwards that, you know, nature sounds so much more beautiful with your eyes closed. Mm. And, 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 and to have him have that real, you know, realization after, you know, experiencing nature in a different way was was very, for me very powerful and another exercise I do is something called deer ears where you stand with your back to running water and cup your ears towards the water and it amplifies the sound tremendously and when we did this exercise with the gentleman one gentleman actually he was so taken he actually got down on his knees because he just was he couldn't believe what he was hearing just by by putting his hands up to his ears to listening to the water and how therapeutic it was. Mm -hmm. So you'd be just really amazed what you will feel and experience if you just give yourself that time to, to be present in that moment in the forest. Do you think that humans, whether it's it's going back to ancestors or, or indigenous cultures, I mean, that they shared some form of a sacred or spiritual relationship to trees? Absolutely. Um, you know, even in my Hawaiian culture, um, you know, the, the relationship of, of the people to the trees and the, the stewardship and the protection. And, um, I, you know, I think that many cultures, you know, consider trees as, as members of their family, mm. um, as part of the community. 
um, you know, not this other being, but the sort of sort of creation, sort of as a oneness, as all together. And so, you, you know, and, and we know with the Native Americans, you know, they had so many great uses for trees. Um, as part of my nonprofit here in DC, uh, uh, we have Capital Nature. We we do these education programs, and when we when we have experts talk about the trees and their properties, it's amazing to hear all the different types of things and parts of trees that could be used for different things in the different indigenous communities. Mm. I, I wonder if you if you could recall any of those or any any really interesting medicinal uses of trees that that might surprise us. You know what was really interesting is um, I feel like so many of the different remedies were uh, were for for um, stomach ailments and and eating things and and uh, you mm. know uh, sore throats and things like that and right. it's just. You know, here's a good example. Um, I was um, participating in a global uh, nature citizen science event a few weeks ago called the City Nature Challenge. And that was uh, happening in uh, 414 cities around the world. And um, I was uh, making some observations with my iNaturalist app on my phone. And somehow I I brushed myself and scratched myself um, on my on my wrist and I was bleeding. Mm. And my friend that was with me said, oh, you know, um, do you know that um, there's these plantain leaves here? So there are these little wild plantain plants, not like the ones that we eat with the with the fruits, but little little um, weeds basically, but a type of plantain. And so he instructed me to take that plantain leaf, uh, dush, brush off the dust, brush off the dirt, um, stick it in my mouth to wetten it, and then stick it on my wound. Um, and it was, a, it was nature's Band-Aid and it worked wonderfully. It stuck um, to my wound which was a small wound um, but it stopped the bleeding and to me that was just like a really great example of just how you know when when you need something nature's right there and it has your back mm. yeah that's a wonderful story how do you feel about the, the difference between these beautiful old growth forests around us and and maybe the tree that sprouts in the middle of a very dense concrete neighborhood um are they are they the same thing are they different should we interact with them differently what do you think Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the activities that we did for Capital Nature in the fall was we led urban street tree walks. And so there is an organization in DC called Casey Trees, and they have worked with the, um, the DC Department of Transportation, um, their, their forestry division to make a really awesome uh, online map of all the trees in DC. And Casey Trees is, is their, their mission is to protect uh, the forest canopy of the of the DC uh, area, and so um, I, uh, with my colleague Stella Tarney, we did some research on three different blocks in an old section of DC, um, where we uh, I think I looked we found maybe seventy seven different species of trees that were planted on three blocks, uh, and basically researched them and then led a walking tour for local residents on these trees and just how amazing they are right you know right here in our presence and so many people just walk by them you know mm. they don't know their significance they don't know their history they don't know um, their different seeds and their different flowers and things like that and so we really uh really, really enjoy sh uh, introducing people to things that are right in front of them that they wouldn't necessarily notice mm. do you think that trees should be considered a very viable approach to do certain aspects of climate change or, you know, the urban heat island effects, ways to cool down neighborhoods as well? Absolutely. Um, my day job is at the U.S. Green Building Council. Uh, we're a nonprofit that promotes sustainability and green building. And so I learned from the start that um, the green, uh, the uh, excuse me, the heat island effect so important when you look at the temperatures that the the trees are able to help bring city temperatures down and also with green roofs. I mean, more and more. Um, you know, buildings are covering themselves with green roofs, not only for stormwater management to mitigate that, but also to cool their buildings so mm -hmm. that they don't have to spend as much on the um, on the cooling of their building. And so, definitely, um, you know, when we when we see all this forestry lost in the Amazon with the fires and right. such, and all that devastation, yes, that's definitely going to have a massive effect on um, on dealing with climate change. And so, I think I think a lot of people realize that the more trees we plant, the better off we'll be. <laughs> <laughs> and so just because they they do so much for us, not only mentally, but even just um, ecologically, um, they they definitely um, are a great benefit um, to helping mitigate that. I wonder what you would instruct us Californians in terms of, you know, when it comes to these incredible wildfires that rip across our state. And, we you know, we hear stories of the sequoias burning and and it's it's hard to sit with sometimes as you see these these beautiful giants just slowly start to burn. I. I 
I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but it's 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 something I think a lot of people in the state are are, are sitting with and dealing with. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I learned in my master naturalist coursework was that um, burning of tree areas and meadows and such is is a natural process that kind of helps with a rebirth. Mm. And so, while devastating as it is, um, forests are resilient. And so, um, after an act of a fire things rise up from the ashes, you know, kind of like a phoenix, you know, and start anew. And 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 nature is kind of programmed to do that. And so that's the only sort of glimmer of hope that I see from the forest fires is is that the possibilities of what's going to come next and what's going to come what's going to come up and grow um, after those fires. Well as we begin to to wrap up our conversation, I, I wonder if you have a favorite tree or a favorite species and you could tell us about why why it's so beautiful and fascinating. Sure, absolutely. I have a couple based on properties. And so for bark, um, I really love the musclewood tree. Um, the musclewood tree, um, I think it's Carpus carolineana, um, Carpinus carolineana. Um, it, um, its bark is, uh, it's almost like carved sculpture. When you touch it, it looks like the the rippled muscles, um, you know, of skin. And I find that very, very fascinating. Mm. Um, in terms of leaves, I'm a huge lover of the ginkgo tree leaves. Um, I just, they're just, they give me so much joy. I have two in my neighborhood. Um, they, they're the most ancient species. They've been around, you know, you know, forever. And I love those. And then the sycamore bark, um, which is the mottled one that kind of looks speckled like camouflage. I love, I love those. And then of course, being from Hawaii, um, the koa tree, uh, is very near and dear to my heart. It's just beautiful. Um, it just uh, it just brings evokes so many childhood memories for me. Um, it's a, and it's a very revered tree in the Hawaiian culture. Um, and so um, when I think about trees back home, I think about the koa tree. We've been speaking here with Anna Kaahanui, a, a lover and expert of trees. We, we thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. Once again, that was Anna Kaahanui, a master naturalist and co-founder of Capital Nature. Well, that's all for today. The producer of Life Examined is Andrea Brody. You can listen to this and all other episodes on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like what you hear, we'd love to read your review. You can also find us at kcrw.org slash lifeexamined. I'm Jonathan Bastian. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.